0: And so today I want to talk to you and to your friends about how to navigate these waters at the end of the age. We are living in the end of the age. And so I want to speak to you from 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 1, a verse that I love so very much and find to be so helpful. And in this verse, the Apostle Paul is writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And he says, This know also that in the last days, Perilous times shall come. In Greek, there's the little word day, D E. It makes something emphatic or categorical. The word know that is used here describes something that you must emphatically, categorically know. This couldn't be spoken in stronger language. It's like the Holy Spirit is raising the volume of his voice and he's saying, Know this emphatically, categorically. You absolutely must know this. And now he's describing something that must be known. It must be acknowledged. It must be embraced. Know this emphatically. He couldn't speak in any stronger language. And then he goes on to say that, even the word that is important. It's a Greek word, hoti. It's what I call a pointer word. The Holy Spirit says, you must emphatically know this. He's really pointing to what he's going to say. He says that in the last days, perilous times shall come. Well, some people say, oh, it's always... You always hear people talking about the last days. They've been saying it's the last days for 2,000 years. Well, it has been the last days for 2,000 years. The last days started on the day of Pentecost. That's when this period started. When Peter prophesied in Acts 2:17, he said, God says, In the last days I will pour out my Spirit upon all flesh. And, of course, it was poured out on the day of Pentecost. And some people call this the church age Some people call this the age of grace, but the Bible calls it the last days, and it has lasted 2,000 years. But when you come to this verse, this word last is the Greek word eschatos. It's where you get the term for eschatology, which is the study of end times or end things. But you need to know more than that. This word eschatos is a very specific word which describes the very ultimate, ultimate, ultimate end of a thing. For example, it wouldn't just describe the last week of the month, it would describe the last day of the month. It's as far as you can go. It would describe the last day or the last week of the year. This word eschatos describes the ultimate, ultimate, ultimate end. In Greek, it describes the point that is the farthest away. If you've reached this point, you can go no further And in fact, it was a nautical term which was used to describe the last port for a ship. So if you have sailed to this port, it is the last port. There is not another port after this one. That's the word that is used in this verse. So the Holy Spirit says categorically, emphatically, you must know this, you must embrace this, that, he gets real specific, that when time has sailed to the last port, and there's almost no more time left for the journey. When you've come to the ultimate, ultimate end, perilous times shall come. That word perilous is such a great word to describe the world that we're living in today. It is the Greek word "kalopos." The word "kalopos" is such a unique word, it's only used twice in the entire New Testament. The other place where it is used is in Matthew chapter 8, verse 28, where the Bible describes the two demoniacs in the country of the Gadarenes. And in Matthew 8, verse 28, in fact, let's just turn there. Let's go to Matthew 8, 28. I want to show it to you. In Matthew 8, verse 28, the Bible tells us about these two demon-possessed men. This is really important because when you find a word that's only used twice in the New Testament... You need to look at both places where it's used, so you really understand the full meaning and impact of that word. So when you come to Matthew chapter eight, verse twenty-eight, the Bible says, "Let me put my glasses on." It says Matthew eight twenty-eight, and when he was come to the other side, into the country of the Gadarenes, is really what it is. There met him two possessed with devils coming out of the tombs, and then notice the next two words, the King James Version says, exceeding fierce, so that no man might pass by that way. The word exceeding fierce in Greek is the word calipos, the same identical word translated perilous in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, and that's the only time that word is used in the New Testament in those two places. So when you look at it as as it is used here, the Bible says these two demoniacs were exceeding fierce. The Greek word kalipos describes something that is risky, something that is dangerous. Uh, It was a word that was used to describe very dangerous dogs. If you got near them, it was likely that you would be hurt, you would be bit because they were ferocious, untamable, uncontrollable. It carries the idea of danger, harm, damage. These two demoniacs were so demonized that when they came out of those tombs, it posed a risk to everybody in the region. And that's why the verse says no one would pass by that way. In the Greek text, the word way is the Greek word hodas. It's the word for a road. And guess what? There was a road that went all the way around the Sea of Galilee. And on that side of the Sea of Galilee was the country of the Gadarenes, And people needed to go up and down that side of the Sea of Galilee on that road, and they were afraid to because of those men in that region. When they would travel on that road, those men would come barging out of the tombs. They were treacherous. They were dangerous, untamable, uncontrollable. They posed risk, harm, and damage to everybody trying to pass on that road. So that became an impasse. This is really important. It became an impasse. And people would say, we don't know how to get around this. We can't get through this. It looks like we can't get around this. This is filled with such treachery. Now, take that into 2 Timothy 3 and verse 1. When the Holy Spirit says, this know also emphatically, categorically, know this, that when time has sailed to the last port and nearly no time is left for the journey, when you've come to the ultimate, ultimate end of the age, you'll know it because of Kalapos times. You will come to a period in history that seems it is filled with risk, treachery, potential harm, danger, and in fact, people will say, this is an impasse. It looks like we can't get around this. This one is so big. Things have changed so much. It looks like there's no way for us to circumvent this. This is just in front of us. And people will feel they have hit an impasse. That's what the Holy Spirit says in that verse. But that's not all. He says perilous times shall come. Those two words shall come. Wow. They are really significant. It is a Greek word inestimate. The word in means to be in something. The word is means to stand. When you compound the two words together, it means to be standing in the middle of something. You're surrounded by it on every side. Everywhere you look, you see it. You feel like you are encumbered by it everywhere you look. And now the Holy Spirit makes it even clearer. You'll know it's the end of the age. First of all, because you'll feel that you're surrounded by treachery and nonsense and craziness and such harm and hurt in society and nonsensical thinking. You'll feel like you've hit an impasse. And then he adds this little word, in istami, translated shall come, which is a bad translation. But it really means people will begin to feel, we are surrounded by this on every side. There is no escape from the nonsense. Everywhere we look, this craziness is happening in society. That's exactly what it means. And so the Holy Spirit is so explicit in that verse to let us know if these are the things you feel, then probably you're on that boat that has reached the last port. You've come to the very, very end of the age. So the last times is 2,000 years from the church beginning of Pentecost until present. But that verse is describing the very, very slither of time at the end, the very end, the last port, when there's almost no time left for the journey. And of course, if you study the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 24, Jesus also told us that we'll know that we've come to that time because the age will begin to have birth pains preparing to give birth to the next age, which is going to be the tribulation. And praise God, we're going to be raptured. That's not going to happen to us. But by the way, When's that rapture going to take place? People, everybody wants to know. And there's a very amazing statement that Paul makes in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. He doesn't tell us when the rapture is going to happen, but he does say that we're going to be caught up. And guess what? The word caught up is the Greek word harpazo. You know what it means? To rescue just in the nick of time. It is a rescue operation, and it implies strongly—in fact, I don't know how anybody could argue with it—that that word harpazo, caught up, doesn't just describe a rapture, but it describes the rapture happening at a very dark moment when God's people will feel they need to be rescued, and at that moment, when it seems all is bleak, the Lord is going to descend from the upper atmosphere, and He's going to snatch up—He is going to transport us into another realm. That's what Paul says, but it's going to happen in a pretty bleak moment. Sometimes people say, Rick, do you believe we're going to live in the tribulation? No, I don't. But based on the Bible, it could be pretty dark before the rapture happens that you might feel like you're in the tribulation, but the Lord is going to snatch us out just in the nick of time. But I think it's really good for us to recognize this is what the Bible says about the age we live in. In fact, it's so important that the Holy Spirit says it categorically, emphatically. It's like He's reaching through the pages of Scripture to grab us and shake us to make sure we really hear what He's saying. Now hear me, I'm speaking to you in the strongest of terms categorically, emphatically, that when time has reached the last port, almost no more time left for the journey. You'll know it because perilous times, risky, dangerous, treacherous times will stand all around you on every side. And of course these will be times that bring harm and hurt to people. And we're living in an age when society is being modified and because of the modifications morally that are happening in society, we're going to see more people hurt than we have ever imagined. People hurt by moral confusion gender confusion, people doing things that they can't reverse, people's mindsets being affected and changed, people changing what they believe. Even many in the church are beginning to adapt themselves to the new environment. They're more concerned about social justice than they are preaching the gospel. We're living in really bizarre times, and the Holy Spirit prophesied that, and not only here. He prophesied in 1 Timothy chapter 4 verse 1 that even in the church, in the very, very end of the age, there will be a departure from the truth. People will give heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of demons. That word give heed, the Greek word prosecco, means to kind of turn your head in a different direction to embrace something new. They were holding on to one thing, but something else came along which Paul says will be seducing. The devil's not going to show up with a pitchfork and horns on his head. He's going to be seducing. The word seducing, the Greek word planēo means to morally lead you off track. It really describes a moral repositioning. It's really what it describes, a moral repositioning. People rethinking what they have believed. Mm, do we want to keep that? Do we want to get rid of that? But what they're hearing is attractive. in fact, the Bible calls it doctrines of demons. The word doctrines, the Greek word didaskalia, which means really well-packaged information. It describes the inundation of PR, the media, the courts, Hollywood, education, just the repackaging of information, bombarding you and bombasting you, getting your attention so that you begin to consider, well, maybe that's a possibility. But Paul says working behind it, will be demons, demons. From the Greek word daimonian, the ancient world believed that demons, daimonian, produced mental madness. And that's what we're seeing in the world today. People have lost their minds in the name of sophistication and being progressive. We're just living in a really bizarre time. And the Holy Spirit prophesied it. But there's an answer. There's an answer. And the answer is in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. So let's look at it. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. But let's begin in verse 14. In verse 14, Paul says these powerful words, but continue. We need to stick with what we know to be true. Just because everybody else is losing their mind does not mean we have to lose our mind. And I tell Christian leaders all the time, don't be so open-minded that your brain falls out. Keep your brain in your head. Use your mind. We need to stick with what we know to be the truth. And Paul said to Timothy in verse 14, continue thou in the things that thou hast learned and has been assured of. You know that these things are true doesn't matter if the world goes in a different direction. You continue and stick with what you know to be true. And then when you get down to verse 16, he gives this remarkable verse that most people read but don't really examine to see what it means. This verse is so important. It says, "...all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works." But the first of verse 16 he says, all scripture is given by inspiration of God in Greek. It is the word theopneustos. The word theos is the word for God. The word pneustos is from the word pneuma. And the word pneuma describes a spirit or spirit, and it carried three ideas. And all three of them are correct in this verse. All three of them. Number one, the word pneuma is the same word used in the Septuagint in Genesis chapter 1, to describe the Spirit of God who brood upon the face of the deep and released His creative powers. And that word pneuma describes creative power, creative power. Secondly, the word pneuma is the very Greek word that was used by the Greeks to describe a perfume or a fragrance if you wanted to go and buy some perfume for your home, you would go and you'd say, I want to buy a panuma," And they would give you a bottle filled with a fragrance. When you took the lid off the fragrance, the aroma would fill your home, and that fragrance was called panuma. Third, it was a musical word. For example, when a man wanted to play an instrument like a flute, he would hold the flute to his lips, but the flute produced no sound unless he breathed into it. His breath into the flute was called pneuma. That's what it means. So this word pneuma, the second part of the word inspiration, carries in it the idea of creativity, fragrance or aroma, and it carries the idea of music. This is very important because in this verse, the Apostle Paul is talking about the Word of God, and he says, all Scripture, all Scripture all of it, is given by pneuma, by God's breath. And here is what it means, and this is why it's so important to do a word study. If you take the Bible and really devour it, take it into your home, take it into your life, it doesn't matter what kind of a mess you have in your home. And there's a lot of homes today filled with a lot of messes. That's why they need our ministries But when you take the cap off of the Word of God, guess what? The creative power of the Word of God begins to flow into your life. It begins to flow into your home. The power you need to set things in order, the power you need to heal your mind, it comes out of the Word of God. That's what that word "penuma" means. Secondly, the Word of God carries the aroma of heaven. And if you don't like the smell in your house, and if you don't like the stink in your life, you can change it by opening the Bible. Take the lid off of the Scripture, dive in, extract what is in the Scripture, and the scripture, the scripture contains inside it the smells of heaven. And you can bring the smells of heaven into your life, into your finances, into your home. Thirdly, if you don't like the atmosphere in your home, if you feel it's a little heavy, well, the Scriptures carry the music of heaven. The sounds of heaven are right here. And if you want your atmosphere to be changed, bring the Word of God into your home. Because when you take the lid off of it, the sounds, the melodies of heaven begin to change the atmosphere that is in your house. And so in this word, theopneustos, you find that in the Bible, pneuma, God's put His breath. God has put in the Word of God, creative power. He's put in the Word of God, the aroma of heaven. He's put in the Word of God, the sounds of heaven, everything we need to make our lives better. And when you're living in a world that's become stinking and sick, then here's the answer. Here's the answer. You know, people say their Bible's laying there, on their coffee table or sitting in their bathroom or laying on the back seat of their car and they're saying, oh God, please move in my life. Here's how he wants to move, right here. When you open the scripture and dive in and take the lid off of it, it begins to release everything that you need into your house. And that's why ministries like KCM are so important because they're bringing the word of God to people's lives that has the power to change everything change everything. All of that is in the Bible. Now, it's amazing to me that Paul begins in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, talking about how bad it's going to be in the end of the age. But he ends the chapter by saying, so you need to stick with what you know. And by the way, all of this is in the Word of God. If you'll just stick with the Word, the Word of God will release all of this into people's lives. And then he gets real specific. Listen to what he says. It is profitable for doctrine. I'm not going to comment on that. Then he says, for reproof, for correction, and instruction in righteousness. Let's just focus on the word correction. People think, oh, well, nobody likes correction. Well, you're going to like this. Because this word correction, in Greek, describes an individual that has been knocked flat on his back by something in life. Think how many people you know, how many people you minister to, people in your churches, and they just feel like they've been knocked flat, maybe knocked flat by coronavirus, knocked flat by what's going on in the world, knocked flat by what's going on in their kids' lives, or they see their grandkids going in a different direction, or something's happened in their marriage. They just feel like they've had the wind knocked out of them. They're laying on their back just knocked down. But the word correction... In this verse, literally means that the scripture has the power to take a person who's been knocked flat and to put him back on his feet again. That is amazing. The scripture has the power to put somebody back on their feet again. No wonder. The devil's trying to get people to preach everything but the scriptures. It's the scriptures that have the power to restore. It's the scriptures that have the ability to put people back upright on their feet. Nothing can do that like the scripture can do. And then in verse 17, he says, when the word of God's really working in you, it causes the man of God to be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. The word perfect is A form of the word telos, it means it brings you into maturity. But then it says, thoroughly furnished, undo all good works. What does that mean, thoroughly furnished? The Greek word describes a boat. Look how the Holy Spirit does. He started the chapter by saying, when you've sailed as far as you can sail, you've come to the last port. Now he ends the chapter also talking about a boat. Thoroughly furnished describes a boat. But there were two kinds of boats. There was a simple boat that had no equipment. Couldn't go very far. Had to always come back to the shore. Could not survive a storm. Could not handle big waves. Didn't have any equipment. It was a little boat. It was a boat. But you couldn't do much with that boat. That boat would never be for long-distance sailing. But the word that is used here, thoroughly furnished, describes the same model boat but now it's been outfitted. It has an anchor, it has equipment, it has a sail, it's the same boat. If you put them side by side it's the same model. One has no equipment, one has a lot of equipment. When I was a boy my father was a fisherman and my dad's first boat was like that first model. It didn't have anything on it. It was just an aluminum boat I hated that boat. We'd get in that boat and we'd row and row and row. You couldn't go very far because it didn't have a motor. It didn't have any equipment. It certainly could not survive any big storms or waves. We'd have to always come back to the shore. But eventually my dad began loading that boat with all kinds of equipment. And wow, once we were thoroughly furnished, we could go for the long haul. We could go clear to the other side of the lake. We could go through the biggest waves Because we were equipped for it. That's the word that is used here. And here the Holy Spirit tells us there's two kinds of Christians. We all basically are the same model. We're all saved, washed in the blood. Praise God for that. But some are not very equipped for life because they haven't been taught the Scripture. That's why they can't make it very far. They try, but they always come back. They can't handle the storms of life. They're just not equipped for it. They're not equipped for it. But then there's another believer, maybe attending the same church, and he's had a different approach to the Bible. That believer has been really serious about it. He's taken the scriptures into his life. The scriptures begin to change him. The scripture begins to give him an oar, give him a motor, give him an anchor, give him a sail. The scripture begins to outfit him with knowledge and understanding. And that believer started just like the other one. The other one can't make it very far, but this guy, he's got everything he needs for long distance traveling. He is ready for any waves that come against Him. He's going to push through every storm because He has been thoroughly furnished for any situation. What a word for an end-time generation. So if we have sailed to the last port, uh, we need to understand there's some rough water in front of us. And that's why Paul said to Timothy and to us, Stick with the Bible. Stick with the Bible. That's verse 14. Verse 16. It will release God's creative power. It'll bring God's music into your life. It'll change the smell in your life. It'll remove all the stink. If you've been knocked flat, it's the Scripture that's going to keep you upright on your feet and put you back on your feet. And it is the Scripture alone that has the ability to equip you with everything that you need. Now, Brother Martin, I'm going to tell you the truth. Right now, this week, I hit some rough waters. Who doesn't? It's just part of life. There's a devil out there that doesn't like what we're doing. And guess what? For me, smooth sailing. Not a problem. Not upset. Haven't lost my peace. It's just going to pass. Those times come. Those times go. But those who do the will of God, they abide forever. I have what I need to stay in peace, and to sail through any experience. Not because I'm so brilliant, but because the Word of God has equipped me. I'm not shaken. Now think about how many people today are saying, Oh me, oh my, what's happening? How are we going to survive? What's going on in the world today? Wrong thinking, wrong thinking. What an opportunity we have Prophets prophesied about this age. They saw it from a distance. We get to experience it. We get to live it. Which means we're made for this. We're not living in this time period by accident. We're anointed for this. We are anointed for it. You know, I don't live in America and I don't like American football. I don't like it but Americans are just crazy about American football and many people are schoolbook athletes they study how to play the game they talk about the game they love to sit on the sidelines and talk about the game but in faith the time eventually comes when you got to get out of the bleachers and get on the field it's time to play the game And here we are, we're living at the end of the age and people in feeding their faith and feeding their faith and feeding their faith and studying the principles of faith and studying how to walk in faith and how to believe God for money, how to believe God for healing. And bam, suddenly we have a moment when we can use all that information. And many of them are saying, oh, what are we going to do? I'm going to tell you what you're going to do. It's time to play the game. You've been doing all that studying for some reason. This is it. This is your opportunity to get on the field. Other people have played the game in their times. Now, this is our time. And what an opportunity. People sitting in darkness, people confused about what is right and what is wrong. It's like Isaiah chapter 5 says at the end of the age, people will call light dark and dark light, people so confused. They need to see Isaiah 60 fulfilled when the church arises and shines in the midst of darkness. It leads me back to what I said when I started today. You get what you see. Choose what you see. You can tremble and say we can't do it or you can say, hey, I don't see giants. I see opportunity.